Hey everyone, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about political economy and anime. We are here with you to learn about who controls Venezuela's food system, as well as whether the anime with the horny shark is better than the anime with the horny skeleton. I'm Ryan Salisbury. I'm Chris Nibbins. Uh, today we have uh, a, a few questions, not too many, uh, from listeners, and then we're also just going to talk about some random stuff, because we, we didn't really come up with a specific topic um, but wanted to do an episode anyway. Tonight's just a fireside chat. Exactly, yeah. Let's start with the questions. Let's go with, uh, let's go with Peters first, since he is uh-huh. a, uh, he's a co-host. Long time uh, contributor. Yes. <laughs> so his first one is, uh, are there any popular trends that do not ultimately feed into the existing status quo or that cannot under any circumstances be co-opted or... Uh, co-opted to feed into the existing status quo? Uh, it's a very cosmological question, Peter. Yeah. Uh, um, also, also, is it fair to say that the popularity of the music of the band Status Quo is hegemonic? <laughs> I actually don't I, know that band, do you? I don't know shit about that band, I'm sorry. <laughs> We've just added ourselves as not cool. Well, it's weird, because Peter like doesn't really listen to music that much at all. Like... Like, every time I talk about music, he's just like, eh, you know, I don't really... I like listening to, like, silence or, like, nature sounds or something like that, you know? <laughs> like, I just like being outside and, like, listening to nothing. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's your thing, I guess. I mean, like, lately, uh, when, I'm, when I'm walking my dog, like, maybe... A third of the time now, I'll listen to whatever podcast that I'm listening to for, like, at mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll just like switch to my Bluetooth headphones because you're not allowed to have regular headphones anymore. Uh, I switch to those and then you know keep listening, or I just listen to nothing. I just like listen to birds. I like listening to birds; they're nice. <laughs> it's pleasant, or like the yeah. sounds of the sound of leaves rustling. Very nice. Probably one of the top three sounds ever. Absolutely. I mean, you know, sounds that we're familiar with anyway, right? Yeah. There's probably yeah. a ton of prehistoric sounds that we will never, you know, imagine. Uh, let alone fathom that had like, emotional like, connections. Uh, kookaburras and stuff. Living things. Well, kookaburras, I've, I've heard that shit. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry to say. You're the odd I, man. I, I'll say my, my top three My top three sounds. Number one, uh, the ocean. Yeah. Easy, you know, safe yeah. choice, not controversial. Yeah, I assume you mean the uh, Atlantic. Number two, ocean. yes. Yeah. <laughs> number yeah. two, uh, leaves rustling. And number uh-huh. three, uh, frog pond at night. Okay. So basically, like, Nature's ASMR sounds, um, yes. <laughs> like yeah, like new age albums um, where there's just like a swirling water effect and like thunking and shit, and you're just kind of like Dude. they always have some like undulating sine wave sound right. behind it, which ruins right. the whole thing. <laughs> you know, what the fuck is this? I just want the fucking water bucket. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so. Uh, popular trends that do not ultimately feed into the status quo. Oh man, talking social trends or, or like overall like like oh, he, ecological he trends. trends. We probably should have asked him to clarify before we started this, but yeah. well, here goes too late now. Yeah. We're just gonna hash it out on air, I guess. Nose diving <laughs> this shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the thing is with capitalism, people have noticed that it can co-opt like anything. Right. And it's, it's like basically just that. because, yeah, I mean, it's just a system for quantifying, you know, 
political power involved in something like the Im- the imbalance of political power. Um, and as soon as something could be subjugated by the state, it can be co-opted into capitalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that there is anything other than like anti-statism. <laughs> no, that's already been co-opted. Oh, that's true. Yeah, libertarianism. Yeah, right. This is actually. Um, oh, true. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like we're all fans, but we all. But know. that's more the music, not like the ideology. No, I, well, the no, ideology has has been co-opted though by libertarians. <laughs> so. well, well, exactly, exactly. Like, like we've seen, you know, like when when co-optation happens, it happens in such a way that it's actually like it's more that it's producing a simulacra of the real thing, right? Yeah. Like a facsimile. And so then like, that's, that's the act of co-optation. It's it's like, it's like when we talk about like cultural appropriation, you're like, there's the real thing, the original, the thing that matters and that is like contextual and embedded and like has all this meaning and sort of all this stuff. And then there's what capitalism does, which is takes that and makes a commodity out of it one way or another, or makes like a pseudo commodity where it's, it's just like, uh, you know, spectacular stuff. First, yeah. first, it's like first, it's like rich people uh, commodify it, mm-hmm. and it becomes like a simulacrum, and then right. it becomes commodified for like more regular people, and then Mass it's like a second order simulacrum, which has right. like no meaning attached to the original at all. It's just like right. purely an aesthetic or something like that. You know? Exactly, exactly. Uh, let's see how how does that like. Uh, I'm immediately drawn to like the Starbucks thing just real quick because it's so easy to kind of, I think, um, describe with that model where Starbucks was the sort of second or third order simulacrum made for mass consumption. Um, yeah. That is an echo, you know, that was like a knock on, it was a co-optation of the co-optation, right. Of like the uh, more kind of hipster slash, uh, bougie cafe in the cute city, whatever the fuck, um, which itself was a co-optation or an appropriation from both um, the historical cafes and coffee culture, which themselves mm-hmm. were from like non-Western cafes and coffee culture, right? And we yeah. talked about this on a previous episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's hey, just this like is a recap show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and it's like echoes of echoes. And the purpose of the capitalist like approach is to essentially monetize as many of those, uh, you know, orders of reproduction as possible. I guess you could say that. Um, yeah, the example I was thinking of was the uh, the sugar skulls, which are like really popular right now. Oh yeah, yeah, that's my, definitely. Yeah, my, my girlfriend loves those, which like you know, I guess it's problematic or whatever, but I don't really have a problem mm-hmm. with it personally. It's I don't think it's that big of a deal it's i don't i don't know like it sucks that capitalism appropriates people's culture and turns it into commodities but i mean mm-hmm. you know here, getting here we are. mad at someone's individual enjoyment of that when it's so like when it's as pervasive as sugar skulls i think it's just like i don't know it's a waste of time um yeah. but yeah I it's wonder, like yeah. I, i'm sure that whoever whoever first started doing the sugar skulls thing was like some rich white person like would have been an Instagram influencer or maybe is currently. Right. Right. And, you know, had some idea of like, Oh, this is like, you know, something to do with the day of the dead or whatever. And now it's just like, Oh, they're cool. Like Mexican skulls. (laughs) Uh huh. Uh huh. 
Uh-huh. And well, so this is interesting because uh, this is kind of the task or the, or the, uh, yeah, it's the, like, it's the task uh, of the quote unquote entrepreneur is to be the uh, typically more privileged, typically better funded uh, vector for appropriation of other things and mm. for integration into the existing uh, sort of system or like panoply of, of uh, 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 predatory institutions that comprise capitalism. Um, and so the, like the, the entrepreneur is often somebody who like is, you know, just curious enough <laughs> to, yes. to find one thing or two things that they manage to understand well enough how to commodify and then they bring it back into the core um, or something they like that. They just want to find something that their their other friends will like. Oh, yes, exactly, right. Um, and so, like, I think that this is actually a pretty good way to understand, um, like, like, big art under capitalism, which brings us yeah. back to music. But, like, a lot of it is, is like, ah, oh, fuck, I got to make a living. Uh, or, like, oh, I want to get, like, I want to stay rich or whatever the fuck it is, whatever the situation is financially, economically classified. You know, they're, they're, they're going out into the world and they're looking for the thing that will, like, make them um, rich and famous, essentially, right? And, like, you hear about it all the time, but, like, you kind of, like, don't always necessarily, like, register, like, what that means in terms of what they're doing um, with cultural um uh, uh elements and artifacts and and things like that and then what the ramifications are for the people from whom they've essentially you know appropriated lifted these things um mm -hmm. and and then so those are like the first order appropriations which then yeah like if it if it's something like pop music or rock music you know we've we i think we're you know pretty pretty much familiar with how yeah. like so much of that was appropriated from from black culture, from uh, I mean, every type of music, no basically. Yeah, yeah, and so every, yeah, exactly. except for like polka. <laughs> right, right, and like that that can happen in the opposite direction. You know, people in other cultures, yeah, you know, they constantly um, borrow or take from us as well. And this, you know, that's another conversation which just about like the permeability of culture and the and the kind of like the constant trade and transactions, if you will or just like flows of exchanges, natural things, natural flows of between creatives and stuff. But as soon as it becomes commodified or commodifiable, you know, that's where the risk comes in of this becoming simulacra, et cetera. And then by the time, yeah, by the time it reaches like the Starbucks level, like the second or third order of, of repackaging, uh, reproduction, et cetera, um, then you're like, well, uh, I don't know exactly what to do with this anymore because it's reached a point where you, it's kind of its own bizarre uh, uh, facet of society, I guess, you know, um, yeah. or like site of transaction. Um, and so you're like, well, aesthetically, if you like it, I mean, at, at this point, I don't know what to do with it. It's kind of too late to, you know, the, as somebody put it to me about something else on Twitter, uh, the toothpaste is out of the tube. You know, the cat is out of the bag, all these different idioms to describe kind of how that goes. You know, you can't put it back. What the hell do you do now? You know? Um, yeah. yeah, I guess. Um, I don't know. I had I had a thought, but I lost it. So um, mm. maybe we'll go to the next one.
Uh, so his next one is, uh, <laughs> how do I get a pair of boxers in your anti-capitalist utopia? And do I have to wear them more than once or will they be peasants that I can hand them down to? <laughs> um, um, well, the boxers, so, do they have to be like expert boxers or just like amateurs? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I mean how do you wear them? Prize fighters. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and they, they like sit on your arm like cats. They're, they're much, they are much bigger than me, but like I don't know, they're they're pretty rigid as well. I think. Oh, yeah. That's like one of their main qualities. So, I think that answers that question. Yeah, that's, that's done deal. I mean, pretty easy, honestly. Give us a harder question. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would say um, to get a pair of boxers, uh, you would go to the store, and then you would. Take them off the shelf, and then you would put them in your cart or basket, and then you would uh, walk out the door, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, you'd you'd pretty much. Uh, I believe the general idea is that you would log your uh, your taking. You know, be like, "Hey, I'm taking these," and they'd be like, "Okay, cool." And they'd like press a button, you know, and the database would update. Yeah, I mean, you could do that, but I, I think it'd be much easier just to take weekly inventory because, I mean, the that's only true. reason. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah, the only reason that like uh, anything is done on like a daily like like daily ordering yeah because yeah, like even. that is because of yeah. money so like yeah, yeah, you know yeah. just take weekly inventory just have like some back stock and then uh, if you run out of boxers yeah. I mean the worst that happens is someone shit themselves in every single pair of underwear that they own and <laughs> if we don't have any underwear in the store then someone can let them have one of theirs I guess yeah. well and like you know. Yeah, and if somebody shits themselves every every pair of underwear yeah, they own, or whatever, yeah. then then you just are like, great. Well, now we just have like slightly more material for the big compost processor. You know, <laughs> like that's just kind of how that works. Yes, uh, because um, we will be using natural materials, of course. Yes, right. Um, yeah. And for uh, do I have to wear them more than once? I mean, I would say uh, probably yeah. not a bad idea. You know, save yeah. some water, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if you're uh, the sort of person who likes to share your underwear, then, like, by all means, that's up to you in this post-capitalist. Uh, yeah, it depends uh, how much of a clean freak you are, I guess. I, I'll wear yeah, my boxers yeah. two days in a row, no problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What's, you know, what's the meaning of cleanliness? Truly, it's, it's kind of relative. If anyone's going to see my genitals, yeah. I will shower before that happens. Yeah. wear clean underwear but yeah i mean i shower every time i take my clothes off um <laughs> and also right before i put them back on it's the ritual <laughs> uh and he says uh also can the casp framework be used to explain non-political economy power structures such as the power of podcasts uh and for those who are tuning in for the first time uh Casp is capitalist power. It's a whole thing. Uh, we have several episodes about it. Uh, I can look up which ones they are real quick. Um, do you have, Do you have an answer for this? Can you Can you think of it? Uh, I mean, uh, the capitalist power framework, as I understand it, based on my brief cursory readings, is pretty. Uh, it's specific to a broad range of things. Uh, <laughs> um, that work together, right? You know, it is a framework, uh, and, and so I—I I mean, I would be interested to see how it applies to things 
that I, I guess are not traditionally considered uh, within political economy, but that this, this runs up against what we have to constantly remind people, which is that um, with, respect to, with respect to human beings, at least, everything is political. Um, yes. Because it has everything to do with how we do anything, right? Um, right, right. How and why, right? So, so We live in a society, et cetera. We live in a society, right, the, right. That famous um, meme. Exactly. Um, I am very intelligent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I think that like, if we wanted to drill down past the more kind of like simply uh, or, or like the kind of the core effort of CASP, which is, of course, a critique of capitalism, uh, a, an attempt, an attempt to describe it as an as a kind of organism or machine, um, or at least a set of cooperating dynamics, um, or like, um, principles by which decisions are made in the system, if we could just kind of approach it uh, as all or Yeah, several. I, I kind of think it's like a, I think it's kind of like a theory of the state in general, but it hasn't been yeah. applied to states other than modern capitalist ones. Exactly. And so I know that we, uh, you know, since I started, you know, we did the Phoenicians episode um, and we kind of talked about the key role of distribution um, in in their uh, power structure, yeah. right, and how they built power, um, they were a a decentral um, empire of sorts that relied pretty much on trade and coalitions. And um, yeah, and as we mentioned in the in the Kokudaka episode, it was actually very normal for states uh, mm -hmm. previously to have like mobile, like the leadership was like mobile all the time. They they didn't have they didn't like stay in the palace. Right. They're actually like in a caravan type of thing. Right, because the the um what's interesting is that like <laughs> having the kind of social power uh that elites um build, um, maintain, aspire to, uh try to expand pretty much continuously. Um the one of the strengths of that is that it leads to, in most cases, most of the time, uh, it seems to lead to uh, an ability to be more mobile, right? Because they're yep. not tied to production on one site. They're the ones who take from those sites, multiple sites, mm -hmm. for their own aggrandizement and benefit and so forth. Um, and then... Um, yeah, I mean, most of the time, yeah. like, the, the people that are actually controlling like industry mm -hmm. in state societies are nowhere near the site of production. Exactly. And, yeah. And um, actively avoid it a lot of the time because like, yep. you know, a lot of industry under the state is like heavily toxic. Yes. So they they and, wouldn't want to be anywhere yeah. near that because they would get like their kids would get birth defects and shit. <laughs> so. right. right. And what's interesting is so in, in um, my grad school days, you know, one of the things that, I was just a uh, an observation, something that you had to kind of confront perpetually in your coursework um, studying international political economy was the idea of like the transnational corporation or TNC. Um, they're also known as like multinational corporations, MNC, um, and the global value chain or global supply chain, um, which is GVC or um, what GSC, I guess. Um, we dealt with like GVCs typically because it was about, um, again, like uh, 
it, it was more about like the negotiations and the control of things like labor and, and production as opposed to the actual like logistics per se. Um, okay. so, so that's the reason that GVC is distinct and, and studied in its own right. Um, but all these things have to do with the mobility of capital, the mobility of the power essentially that's invested yep. in capital, right? Um, and the typical like threat, this is something that I was, you know, bounced around on, on Twitter today too. The typical, um, or was it yesterday? The typical way that TNCs uh, manipulate um, governments and stuff, and Amazon did this a little bit with, uh, you know, oh, we're going to do a new HQ. We're going to do two. You should, like, give us all your fucking information and so that we'll, like, have a, a good, uh, you know, deck of uh, cards, basically, to, to sort of... Yeah, did you see the news through. today about that? No, I don't think so. Someone someone discovered that uh, that the state of Virginia gave Amazon a map of all of the federal regulators they would have to influence oh, cool. uh, for their business. And that was like a perk of them coming here. Yeah. They're like, Oh yeah, you'll be right. You'll be right, right next to the CIA and the DOT uh-huh. and the DOJ uh-huh. and uh-huh. the DOE. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Well, that's uh, exactly. We know all their what... names. <laughs> like, right. Right. Exactly what they you would guys. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, this you know, capitalism definitely about a, a level playing field. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but but yeah, like the the, the power plays um, with TNCs and, and everything like that. Like their bread and butter is to say like, oh yeah, we have these plants here, um, and you don't want us to leave, right? Because then you'll you won't have jobs. It's all this fucking jobs talk, right? Right. Um, then with things like Amazon, you know, the case of Amazon recently with HQ and everything, they'll then also do things like they'll make promises or hints about potentially quote unquote, creating jobs in your area with all these kickbacks and all this bullshit. Um, and of course all the lobbyists, all the politicians, all the, uh, fucking, you know, anybody who's benefiting from tax, anybody who's benefiting from potential bribery and other shit collusion, Mm -hmm. love that shit. Right. So then they, of course, they continue to launder the narrative as well. Um, but basically, you got your carrot and your stick, right? Um, oh, we can come to your region and we'll give you all this wealth um, because we're so mobile. We'll put it anywhere, right? We have all this power to do so. So don't you want us to come and, and give you goodies? And, and then if they're already there and people are like, dude, this sucks. Like, we got to get rid of these fuckers. And then they, they might appeal to their community leadership, their mayors, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they try to get um, new regulations. They try to get... Um, restrictions on the company. Um, they try to, you know, whatever, protect themselves, right? Um, and engage in some form of legal bargaining, mm-hmm. uh, local governance, etc. Then that's when the uh, like the stick comes out, and it's usually it's, it's a, uh, you know, they threaten to leave. They're like, oh, but like, you know, you don't want that because if you restrict us, if you regulate us, then we'll just like lift off and go, right? Um, and this all has to do with their awareness that they have, um, like the whole, their whole model relies on their mobility, um, and the less, and this is the irony of it, right? The less restricted they are, the more they can fuck you up. That's just true. That's just power, right? Yeah. And so that's yeah. when they make these threats, and they, and, and again, they, they live in a kind of a near future uh, as much as they can, right? They're they're always making claims on it on your income they're also making claims on your like on your livelihood by extension of that which means that they can then 
pull you by the nose in whatever direction they want, right? As long as you're at least somewhat willing to comply or too scared to not comply. Um, and that's how that like, they basically are pointing the power structure in the directions that they prefer, right? Because they're able to, mm -hmm. um, you know, labor has to collectively organize uh, and do so fairly effectively, but then they have to also confront the local power structures, you know, which are more explicitly political and legal. Um, and then those people are usually, you know, halfway in bed at least with the corporations. And so, you know, and that's, you know, you know why HR and uh, the legal departments and stuff exist. That's exactly why they exist. And that's why cops exist um, to protect yes. their property. And that's why corps are so obsessed with cops and security uh, uh, teams and shit like that, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, for the like, for like the U.S. state to accomplish anything, it needs mm -hmm. to have at least some workers that it can pay with U.S. dollars uh, to do stuff. And not only does it need, like, a bunch of logistics to funnel into, like, whatever it is they want to do. You know, mm -hmm. you need you need people, like, mining metals so that they can... And, and then, like, processing it into usable sheets or ingots or whatever. And then mm -hmm. that gets made into, like, you know, tank armor. And then yep. that gets made into a tank and... Like there's all these things that you need done, and um, in order to do that, you need to like have like full control over people, either yep, through yep. slavery mm -hmm. or like or something indistinguishable from it, like serfdom. Yeah. Um, or, or or if I could throw this out there, a thing called market penetration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you need to right. like you need to take over the food system and control the yeah. distribution of food, Basically. so that if someone doesn't work for you, then they mm -hmm. starve to death. They will literally starve. Yep. Yeah. And this is actually one of the get, things about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. one of the interesting things about the healthcare um, problem. Yeah. Is that that's another side of our um, sort of uh, sustenance, right? Um, and that also at this point, right, because we have to remain in. Uh, attached to history when we when we analyze these things right we have reached the point we, we reached it a while back in different ways but we've reached the point again to some extent where um the the environment is is severely depleted and and mm -hmm. poisoned we are poisoned we are out of energy we are out of time we are stressed our, our mental illnesses are, have piled up pretty high you know our physical ailments have piled up pretty high so that um we have the we have been made to be dependent on other sort of goods and services that they have control of. Um, even if it's yeah, I mean, not no one, no one can food. do anything without buying yeah. it anymore. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and, and beyond even that, it's, it's the, like the, the, the toxicity of the system, toxicity of, of, of uh, the political economy mm -hmm. um, and, and the, like the literal like material effects of it. Um, that have accrued uh, in our world have created, this is the fucked up thing, have created demand for something that those same companies have at least shares in, right? Um, and But those are yeah. existential demands, right? And they're getting worse. Um, so it's like, it's like it, to, to analogize it to food, it'd be like if they uh, made us need more food, right? 
yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, 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 and yeah. So, uh, and then of course it is connected to debt and debt peonage and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, I mean, I know not everybody loves Graber, but we've talked about the Graber debt book and who doesn't um, love Graber. I'm thinking of the comics, mostly, but like, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. yeah. I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to keep it like a, a fairly open, you know, open, uh, analysis here. Um, but like the, the, the thing about debt, of course, is that like when people feel obligated to an unjust, um, like within through an unjust bond to someone who has power over them, you know, that's, that is how these things are perpetuated. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm going to have a lot of fun trying to explain that to my parents because my dad got called by a a lender the other day. (laughs) Uh, he's like, Hey, why is someone so calling me? I was like, don't just tell them not to call you, but like, God damn it. You know, (laughs) like (laughs) I'm going to have to tell you that I'm like intentionally defaulting on this shit. Like, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, um, but all that has to do, all of it has to do with the cast um, idea of differential accumulation, right? That as long as they can create um, at least superficially legitimate or legitimized, you know, state enforced bonds of obligation with people like, you know, laborers and so forth, right? Through price controls uh, of their own, you know, um, through uh, debt through um you know dependency on their commodities and and services yeah right it all i was gonna say earlier that i i that i just remembered was uh uh that the uh source of legitimacy thing i think we've touched on it a little bit uh uh, but i think it's like hugely important to understanding like how and why the state works because like uh you know most like uh most decisions that cannot be made by the state or like the reason they can't be made by the state is because it would undermine like it, this is for modern states only it would undermine their source of legitimacy or whatever right. i guess it applies yep. to all but yeah like uh the like decision space for them uh depends on like what their source of legitimacy is and what would make it seem illegitimate exactly like and this is this brings us to like if we want to compare and contrast um the kind of modern capitalist state where like it's this totalized capitalist market thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, by which they plaster over, especially, you know, the, the true power relations within the system. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, versus sources of legitimacy for other states, um, non-capitalist states, and also just like historical states. Generally there are different sources for legitimacy. You know, you've got theocracies, which is a classic example, very easy to understand because a lot of people still have theocratic inclinations. Um, yep. And unfortunately, a lot of those people are in the Republican Party <laughs> <laughs> and are willing to literally slaughter us to get that uh, ball rolling. Um, for well, it'll probably work out. Very strange. Oh, yeah, they're going to love ha- uh, doing it. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, the, the, the theocratic types, because of their source of legitimacy issue, like this is one reason why they and leftists are traditionally uh, at such odds, right? Because mm. um, leftists are at least nominally or at their core, that was, sorry, contradiction of terms. Uh, leftists, are, leftists are generally humanists of some kind, right? Yes. Um, or have humanist aims. Um, theocrats um, or, or theocratic 
sort of, you know, the people in those cults uh, have, have bizarre, superstitious, sort of often fear-based. Um, they're like all sense- about purity. Yes, right. I, I, they're, I really they're, think they're all about purity because they always yeah. talk about, like, if, if someone dies and they think it's unjust, then they, they say that the, it's an innocent person died. And right. then if someone right. dies and they think it's justified, then they're just like, well, they did this. So then they deserve to die. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a general it's all idea. It's purity. And if you violate even one uh-huh. little bit, then you're, you're fucked. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then there's a, um, there's and you have to be white first, of course. Well, right. Especially in this, in this, uh, scenario we're in. Um, but it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of obsession with mortality and stuff, uh, but in, in a very different way uh, than like the leftist obsession with like quality of life and stuff. Um, like where we're like, look, we're alive now, you know, like let's talk about now. <laughs> this, mm-hmm. this, this, this shit is bad right now in front of us and in our lives. And like, why are you essentially like, this is because someone's doing stuff and you're agreeing or you're, you know, you might not agree, but you're going along to get along, you know? Yeah. Um, and then like theocrats are like, I mean, you know, like, I mean, my, my, my family, super, very fucking devout Christians. Uh, I will not preface further how quote unquote good or bad they are, but like, just, they just, sorry, sorry. Can you say that again? You cut out. I will not, I I will not, uh, preface, uh, again, I think as I have before, just like how good or bad they are or whatever the fuck their intentions are. Basically the, you know, they're, they're the world that they structured for themselves and which they structured for me as a kid is one um, in which it's very defeatist, you know, it's this kind of fatalistic, you know, Oh, the world is, is crap because of people. And therefore mm-hmm. like, we, we can't expect a better world. You're right. You know, um, right. We can't do better. So we'll just, we'll just um, suffer and it's holy suffering. And, and, and because of that, we're pure We're we understand that like, you know, goodness isn't something that we can get people to do without the grace of God. You know, this is all very like Christian, of course, and you know, other religions yes. have their own yeah. versions <laughs> or, or parallels to this. Um, you know, so forth. Uh, and and <laughs> it's it's I, I don't remember exactly where we're going. Oh yeah, sources of legitimacy, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, different different cultures uh, have have different sources of legitimacy. Um, and I think that some are just, you know, more valid than others. And the one that we're, that we're in, which where like legitimacy uh, comes from essentially power, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and the demonstration that you, through some, uh, some mythical process, Right, it's it's a bit of a hero's journey thing for people who are into literature or or whatever, um, you know, mythology. Uh, but it's always a myth, as we've discussed with things like uh, millionaires and billionaires. You know, all oh, the bootstrap shit. But like the idea is that oh, this person went through this epic journey of um, self-actualization, um, uh, not too different from you know, the idea of like Christian works and redemption and shit, but you know, that's the very Viberian and everything. But like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of belaboring the point here. Uh, but the source of legitimacy in a capitalist 
culture is basically uh, power. I mean, it's the it's the election, really. Well, yeah, capitalist democracy, yeah, quote unquote. Yeah, right. it's the um, the um, you know the head of state, either like you know the the monarch or the president or whatever um, is probably the the ultimate source, I guess for. I guess for societies without a monarch, it's the constitution. Right. Um, that's what most people seem to care about. Um, and then, you know, whoever's in, in power, the reason they have power is because they were elected, you know, by 40% yeah. of the country or whatever. By like, yeah. well, no, 20% of the country. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then for the, uh, the private sector, it's, uh, you know, it's just totally... Totally autocratic, no allusions to anything. It's just whoever is selected by the people that are in power, who are in power because they're in power. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about the like the bourgeois democratic uh, structure is that like like you said, like the election and the head of state and everything and the constitution, like um, those things are all uh, like yeah, the, the whatever structure the election has you know, and its outcomes, whatever that may be, uh, at the core, it's uh, a simulation of consent, right, to the existing hierarchy, right? And then the Constitution is also like a simulation of, of uh, consent, a simulation of impersonal, you know, abiding principles. And, and, and so the, I think this is one reason why, like, the kind of the Bible thumpers also really love the Constitution and just, like, fucking get off about it all the time. It's because yeah. they think of it as essentially the Ten Commandments for America, right? Yes. They think, <laughs> I was oh, thinking the same this, thing as yeah, soon as just, you said that. It's so <laughs> impartial. Oh, it's, it's this elevated document from which all good can flow, you know, all social. And, and, and much, like, much like the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. much like the Ten Commandments, and th- this is one of my favorite uh, George Carlin jokes ever, <laughs> which is uh, – they forgot a couple of things like uh, slavery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, the Ten Commandments uh, it has it right in there. It's like, you know, the thou Don't shalt fuck your not wife. Covet. Slave's okay, yeah. though. <laughs> right, right. It's like, don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't go after somebody else's shit, right? But yours yes. is fine. You know, go after your own shit, which is really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, oh, got some lightning outside. Um, a little stormy time, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's legitimacy. Is, so to is, answer the question, I think yes, it could it could be used. Yeah. Uh, to explain non political like non capitalist power structures, uh, but can when it? You... Currently, no. And and Nitzan is very insistent that it's specifically only for. Capitalism. A certain type of power under capitalism. Ah, uh, okay. So he would say no flat. Like, he I, would say no. I yeah, would say I, yes, but it's not there I, yet. Yeah, I, I, would, I was going to say, like, we could definitely employ some of the um, ideas, but... Yeah, as it's like disaggregate analysis, for sure. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, like, the the tropes of, of like, uh, how power is accumulated... Uh, uh-huh. uh, the hierarchy thing that, that Blair did very applicable to any, anything outside of capitalism, I think. Cause right. I mean, he, 
he bases it on thermodynamics, which is like hard to get more general than that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested to actually read like the more digestible parts of that um, at some point. Um, oh, it's I think it's all very digestible. Actually, he's uh, he's a good writer. Yeah. Uh, oh wait, wait, he has he has some videos um, on YouTube or something, right? Yes, there are. Uh, yeah, you should check those okay, out. Those okay, okay, I'll just do that instead. Um, yeah, the, I, <laughs> I actually learned more, like a lot more about Casp from the oh. um, the Creator channel on YouTube because uh, okay. they have they have like lectures, so like they're like you know presentations of like stuff they're working on academically. So you don't have to really watch the video part. So I've mm-hmm. I've listened mm-hmm. to a lot of it. Um, so yeah. I, I learned a lot of like random stuff about Casp mm-hmm. from those. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so I'd recommend watching those uh, I, I just have a hard time like doing long reads you know anyway yeah, uh, let's okay. let's get to the next question oh, yeah, so yeah. I want to do this question from Mel from uh, uh-huh. Coffee with Comrades Uh huh. so thanks Mel for the question and thanks Peter for the questions as well so Mel asks if you could burn one particular year to the ground and erase it from the collective memory of humanity what year would it be I, th- a, I love this question. <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, I, I had a real hard time with this because, you know, so many years in recorded history have been, um, have been so loaded with um, effect and all, you know, just like how many, uh, like how many pivots has history taken that we don't even necessarily understand. Right. Like, not even big yeah. things like the Black Plague, but um, I, I could name a, a year personally, which um, we we don't know the date of. We don't know which year it is, but it was mm-hmm. a year. Um, and I'm going, I'm going a bit with with Book Chin, and I think the the little I know of, you know, just anarcho feminism, whatever. Um, whichever year it was that a bunch of dudes decided that they were going to rule the women, like that was a shitty year. And I fucking yeah. hate that it happened because I think that basically fucked it up for like the rest of time so far. Uh, I, yeah, I'm assuming yeah, that the dudes, dudes that couldn't handle being ago. horny probably is like right. the, the seed of the original yeah. state. Like, yep. Yep. <laughs> probably. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. That's, that's a good, that's a good one. <laughs> Cause it just like fucks up everything. Yes. Has fucked up everything. Yeah. Yeah, and it's getting worse, which is uh, yeah. very cool. All right. Um, so for me, this was actually very easy. I thought of it immediately. Fourteen ninety two. Yeah, that's when. Um, isn't that when uh, Richard III died or something? <laughs> um. Um. Apparently, yeah. I mean, all, all, alternatively to to bear, uh, burning it to the ground, I would say. Uh, giving uh, indigenous people machine guns and uh, many crates of ammo, I think oh, would be yeah. also a good alternative to that. I think we, I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, um, I think maybe an alternative for me would be whatever year uh, was like the most crucial for Christians coming into power. I think that's another oh, yeah. major world destroying event. Yeah, that occurred to me. And in fact, I think I saw a bunch of um, like Christian leftists talking about this um, on Twitter maybe last week about how like they were like, basically, I wish that and it even like a lot of a lot of non leftist Christians would say this, like they wish that like 
Constantine had just like left it the fuck alone and let it be just a cult of its own that didn't have state power, you know? Um, Because, I mean, you know, getting back to my family background, like they would probably say that um, for the most part, they'd be like, oh yeah, Constantine really fucked it up, you know, made it extremely politically oriented as opposed to just like uh, up until that point, a lot of it was kind of a people's movement, you know, Um, with some weird ideas and rituals. (laughs) But on the other hand, uh, he was a cool Keanu Reeves character, so who's to say whether he was good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can listen to Mike Duncan's History of Rome to get a better idea about Constantine, but, okay. you know. Yeah. I, I, he didn't seem like a very good guy, uh, just kind of like politically somewhat effective um, and so forth. But, yeah. Then. I don't have a whole lot to say about that. It's been a while since I read up on that part of history. Um, Actually, I think I, I think I can get uh, fairly, yeah, I can get fairly accurate with the year 415, I would say. Uh, that would be the year that uh, Christians raised an angry mob to uh, storm the Library of Alexandria oh, fuck and that. kill Theon. Yeah, so Christians uh, stormed the Library of Alexandria to uh, kill Theon oh, right. and yep. then... Then they yeah. burned the Library of Alexandria down and destroyed like hundreds of years worth of knowledge uh, that would yeah. have been lost if it were not for the Arabs uh, having uh, copied all that stuff. So yeah. probably right. one of the worst years in history because of that one event alone. But I'm sure there were many other uh, terrible incidents that happened that year as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a bad one. Um for so many reasons. Yeah. God damn. It's interesting yeah. you know, what what religious people will deny about their own heritage when you when pressed, you know. You're like, <laughs> so about these other Christians who existed and did this thing and they're like, Oh no no no, no. they're they're not really like us and you're like, oh, no, they, they might not be like you personally, but like you have to acknowledge that like your club kinda sucks. So Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm an atheist, so like uh, you know, I got to take ownership of like Richard Dawkins and uh, Dave Rubin and stuff. So yeah. I guess we're about even probably with Christians. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> all right. Next question. Uh, I guess this is the last one. Cause the other one was like, uh, as I replied to the person, more of an episode idea. So uh, solar punk anarchist mm-hmm. asks, how do we get more anarchists and leftists to take, CASP seriously as an alternative to Marxian economics. For me, if, if I knew how to do that, <laughs> I would be doing it right now because uh, I haven't had a whole lot of luck. Like the main, like uh, I, I think the best luck that I have with people is uh, people that aren't super into theory in the first place right. uh, or that don't consider themselves Marxist at all. Right. Uh, and then they read uh, Casp, and then they're like, oh, wow, that explains a lot. That's really cool. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, the response I usually get from Marxists is either, like, they will not read it at all. Right. Uh, and sometimes they will make up reasons not to read it, like it's anti-Semitic because uh, finance just means Jews. Or uh, it's too Semitic because... <laughs> Uh, Shimshon Bickler (laughs) lives in Israel. (laughs) Uh, Or uh, the other response typically is, uh, well, Marx already 
thought of all this or Marxism already explains all this and it's, it's nothing new. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Do you have any idea? Well, um, let's see the, the, you know, I'm, I'm, I think, I think I'm kind of obviously a little wary of like totalizing theories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I really prefer a compatibilistic approach to things. Um, there, well, I mean, you know, my, my grad school was what you call heterodox. And so we considered a variety of views, even if I thought most of them sucked. <laughs> um, and would sometimes yeah, I've hopped around class. to so many ideologies. I can't say that I am like so firmly in one. I would say that right. I'm more CASP than anything else right now. But like, I don't know, that uh, could yeah. change. <laughs> yeah. And so I would say, and, and I will just say this, and it has its own flaws too, because it is a fucking, uh, you know, it's an aphorism really. So it's got it, you know, it needs more nuance. But um, what some people like to say in this field is, uh, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And you can say yeah. the rest too, right? Like, I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, yeah. So like if you approach even your favorite and and the most compelling theory or framework that you know of, right? Because like I was much more familiar with like Marxian thought before I came over to like explicit anarchist anything, right? Yeah. And I still have a lot of Marxian ideas that help me to kind of frame things concretely. Um, right. Right. Like I like the material historical thing. Right. Um, but I think that when, uh, it, there's a danger in committing entirely to one theory as explaining everything. Right. Because, uh, they don't, <laughs> frankly, uh, that's to me a little, uh, too, it's reductive just because, um, you know, we like we said about CASP, right? You can't apply CASP to everything. It, ha- it has its particular target to analyze, mm-hmm. right? Marxian historical materialism, pretty broad. And it, it has a lot of really good points. You know, I think that it's powerful. If it wasn't powerful, it wouldn't have gotten, you know, hundreds of millions of people involved, right? Uh, yeah, but- I, think, I think people do over apply it, though. Um, yeah, this is what I'm kind of getting it, at. Yeah, and it, but it usually is like in a way that probably was not intended by anyone other than the person doing it. <laughs> so I think that like we could say that uh, Marxian, you know, Marx, Marx, Engels, their material, their their literature, and then the follow-ups from various other uh, thinkers in that tradition, um, as well as in attached revolutionary traditions such as Leninism, Maoism, etc. They came up with some very powerful, compelling ideas. And you also have to understand that like some of these ideas were more um, kind of cosmological, ontological, etc. And some of these ideas were more about organizing and practice and getting things done in their context, etc. And then CASP does something similar in terms of cosmology and defining things and everything like that. Understanding the dynamics of a system that it has targeted for understanding and um, offering its conclusions. Um, and then it's up to us to, uh, let's just say this idiomatically, like kind of be the Lenins for caste, right? <laughs> um, okay. How do we activate, 
how do we organize around these um, um, ideas in an effective way to get what we want, right? Um, we might have to find, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we have to find some hybrid approach um, or at least allow for, you know, one group to try um, the more kind of ML, MLM approaches, which are fairly well established. And in terms of just organizing and things, they are fairly effective in a lot of contexts, you know, and in some contexts, they've been extremely effective and so forth. We have to figure out how we want to do it with cast, right? So, so early days of that. Um, and I think the, the burden of proof is on us to actually do something with it. And I think that's where mm -hmm. some of the skepticism comes in because a lot of people are still attracted to, well, the USSR existed for a while, you know, the PRC was established and they beat the nationalists and so forth. Right. Uh, yeah. Those things. Right. So they see that in history because they are historical materialists. Right. So they are, a, they, that's appealing to them. They see that mm -hmm. these projects were successful in whatever form you want to say that they were successful, but they, you know, had a flag, they had, they had uniforms, they had people they talking. They won the space it. race. They, they, right, right, exactly. They had all, they had all this stuff, right? Um, it's still incumbent on us they for this. They stopped famines. They stopped famines. <laughs> right, you know, Which and like... they finally got rid of those fucking sparrows. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. But, like, but like we, it's, it's kind of on us, like, you know, we, we've got other examples of, say, anarchist or democratic confederalist projects that are in existence or haven't in existence, you know, we can point to those um, for the more broadly black flag sorts of communities um, or, or, or related communities. Yeah, like defeating the white stuff. army, right? Uh, killing yeah. uh, McKinley or whatever, whoever it was. Uh, exactly, hell yes. Like we've yeah. done some shit of our own on, on our kind of side of this bizarre line we've all drawn as leftists. But um, I think that, that the issue with CAST is that it's a, it's a relatively new um, expression in in leftist or at least capitalist critical thought. Yeah. Um, and it's coming from authors who are from researchers who are kind of within the institution, within academia, and who are not, um, they're not out and out one thing or another in the traditional kind of clades of leftism. Um, and so I think that well, they're it's weird because York, York is like a Marxist, like very Marxist university. As far as I understand, oh, yeah. I, if I remember correctly, Blair has told me that their, uh, their actual economics department is like heavily Marx. Marxist and okay. uh, Nitsan and and those guys are like kind of like the odd ones out. <laughs> yeah. So, well, as in they're not explicitly Marxist. Uh, well, the, the cast people are like not, they're not uh, like a, like the main, they're not the main uh, like vein of thought in, in that political, in that economics department specifically. Okay. Okay. I might be wrong on that. I'll probably just cut this. <laughs> oh, fuck it. Who knows what? But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I do wonder, like, is it because of you know questions of um, you know uh, the originating authors for this, you know, like the founders of this sort of line of thought, mm -hmm. um, combined with the fact that it's new and it hasn't proven that it will organize for shit, right? It hasn't shown, like, you know, so far it's just us and some other people talking online about yeah. it as a kind of uh, framework 
or a cosmology of a particular moment in human history. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, but we, we haven't really organized around it. We haven't built any projects around it uh, besides academic projects, you know? And so the, the question is like, is this, I think to them is like, is this just tinfoil hattery, right? Versus the, uh, yeah, I, think, more I science, think like it's main right? application would be on a, on a large scale, like dual power or state power level, like Absolutely. it would be good for informing like socialist policy yeah. or yeah. the policy of maybe not whatever you call the equivalent of policy for, you know, a dual power or organization uh, yeah. or movement, I guess. Um, yes, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I think that um, if you think about it strategically and, and like what it actually offers, even without just, really thinking too hard about the content of it itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by describing a theory of, of like a critique of capitalism and like trying to quantify the basis on which it works and so forth, it identifies its strong and weak point, right? Mm-hmm. That's how you can form those policies. That's how you can identify, you know, say like, Hey, Marxists who want to organize in the way that you do and, and think about things in the way that you do. Um, if we follow this line of reasoning, then we've actually opened up a new channel in that you can work in, right? Um, yeah. A new a new target, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's where we could really gain some some ground. Um, yeah, and I, I and I think it backs up a lot of the Marxist policy choices, like uh, uh, nationalization of industries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like I've been getting more and more in favor of. Like I, I've always been like pretty much in favor of it, but like lately, I think not only is it good because it will you know uh let people access like transportation or healthcare or f- whatever it is you nationalize mm-hmm. for free at the mm-hmm. point of use um it also uh like if you nationalize an industry it eliminates any like multiple tiered system of rationing so that um like like take the example of single single payer healthcare the reason that works well is because rich people cannot access better healthcare by paying for it. Exactly. And it, especially if you have it worldwide, they can't just fly to another country to do that either. Um, and another effect of that, of, of nationalization, is uh, it will, I think it will prevent inflation because if you use the CASP theory of inflation as. Uh, restructuring of society by distributional coalitions uh, to take more of the collective output of industry for themselves mm-hmm. at the expense of others, uh, then if you if you basically take away the, the control of, of an industry entirely from business, then uh-huh. that redistributional coalition disappears and that reduces the amount of inflation. Yeah, I mean, I've been binging... Attack on Titan. I think I mentioned that. Um, oh, uh, how how far are you in that? Because I I just caught up with uh, the new season. Oh, I'm only halfway through season two, and I haven't seen the rest of it yet. Okay, um, okay. So I'm like, yeah, it's like I, I said on Twitter. I'm like, I'm really into like how they stick with a lot of the fundamentals with this show, mm-hmm. uh, as like medieval action horror, basically, um, with like weird uh existential and other kinds of uh <laughs> i'm kind of smirking um 
other kinds of themes <laughs> because people yeah. are like, yeah, that's fascist, super fancy show. Yeah. And, I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, damn it. Yeah. Like I love this show, but it's so fucking fashy. And like, um, or I should say it's, it's got a lot of fascist, uh, ideas in it or like themes. Um, and it's really interesting as a yeah, one thing I noticed about those is like, it's, Pretty upsetting, like how inspiring some of that shit kind of is. Yep. You know. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's like because if you really, if you really are under like existential threat, the sort of rhetoric that they're talking about uh-huh. c- can be appealing. Yep. Exactly, and I think that like again, I'm only halfway through season two, so I don't know what else happens uh, after that. Uh, but it's it's kind of what I said in my tweet thread about it, responding to some people. Uh, who were like, it's super fashy. And I'm like, yeah, I noticed that. Uh, and I've heard people say that. Um, but it is very interesting to take it from like a critical lens and be like, okay, so there's this world, like you just mentioned, like there's a world where there's like, it's fantasy and they do have this immediate threat that is unexpected uh, or, like, or like there's a traditional threat and then it's continuously more and more elevated throughout the series. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's like, you know, infiltration and like, oh, are you really a human? And you're like, wow, that's, wow, that's a really interesting question to be asking people, you know? Um, and then like, what do we do with the, the, the monsters and, and all this bullshit? Uh, and so it's really interesting to investigate the show, like from its premise and also from yeah. like what that communicates and then also like looking constantly like is there subtext that indicates otherwise is there anything that indicates that like maybe the author is trying to just get you to um sort of confront those ideas or are they saying no these are the these are the good ideas and and you know so forth yeah i think it's still hard to tell the craft of the story is very subtle at times and so i'm not really sure what's being said yeah yeah i think um like I, I've heard what happens later in the series because uh, yep. I was I was talking to someone. This was like last year. Oh. I don't know. It was when I was still drinking beer. That's all I remember. And I was at a, I was at a brew pub and I was talking to this random guy that was there. That was he. I think he had an anime shirt on or something like that. And I was like, Oh, cool. You like anime? Blah blah blah. And uh, we started talking about Attack on Titan, and he was telling me what happens later. And it seems like a situation where if that's where the author is going to confront the idea of fascism as something that's bad, that, that would be where it actually will happen. Um, but, but at the point that I am right now, that that's still, we still haven't really gotten there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Cause, uh, I mean, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to spoil anything really, but like basically what happens is like everything is on the brink of destruction and then they pull out a victory from, uh, from out of left field kind of, I guess. Mm. Okay. Um, of course, I don't know and, exactly. Uh, so it, it kind of reinforces the yeah. like, yes, fascism is working kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I wonder about about that because um, because isn't the manga series still going or is yes. that okay? So there's still time for it to, uh, you know, if if the author if the author is indeed. Uh, secretly gunning for like a kind of um, a rhetorical sort of twist in some way, you know, uh, there's still time for that to happen. Right. Um, yeah. But if they're not, then you'll probably just see an intensification of, 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 of fascist values and themes. And then you'll mm-hmm. just have to give up on the whole fucking thing. Um, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, before you start fucking, you know, clicking your heels and Zeke Highling and shit. Uh, Go back to watching One Piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's interesting because that's actually a really interesting show to contrast with this one um, because, you know, we did One Piece last episode. And, of course, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was a fan uh, in my earlier years and then I dropped off. But, like, you still are engaged with it and I, I need to really go back to One Piece. But One Piece versus um, Attack on Titan are like foils to each other. They're like extremely contrasted. Uh, One Piece mm-hmm. is like uh, freewheeling kind of anarcho pirates who are very humanistic and um, tolerant of diversity, as I recall. And um, they're not very military. irreverent and, and yeah. like, hopeful. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and they are they deal Attack with Attack on Titan is just of, constant despair. Yes. Yep, and like suspicion, mutual suspicion, and yes, um, like everyone is just a like weapon. an assault on all of your most negative right. sensibilities. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, um, and also um, in in uh, One Piece, they're vessel born for the most part, and they go to different lands and explore new things, and they like they mm-hmm. meet all these different species and and cultures and like all this stuff, and there's like a huge amount of like active, curious exploration. Um, attack on developing Titan. relationships with people. Yeah, developing relationships like like adding people to their crew, even problematic mm-hmm. people. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, I, I, as I recall, there's a lot of like people fuck up and they get forgiven, and there's like resolutions yes. and like that. Yeah. Um, very healthy overall. Even though, again, last episode we did talk about some of the negative sort of downsides of One Piece. Um, the fan service kind of shit, or just not even fan service, but just like weird tropes um and and shit uh in, in attack on titan it's, it's interesting because like they have these strong but all often static bonds um mm-hmm. where it's like no 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 you're just completely loyal to this person and there's there's just one thing or the other um it's life or death all the fucking time yeah the only one that really changes is everyone's relationship with Aaron. right say that again the only one that really changes is everyone's relationship with Aaron. That's exactly right. Um, and he's like this kind of weirdly outstanding uh, uh, character who, uh-huh. as it's remarked in episode like two, I want to say, one or two, um, you know, uh, his like drill sergeant or captain or something says like, you know, oh, this character is, you know, super exceptional in this way. This character is super exceptional that way. And then there's Aaron. He's not very exceptional. But uh-huh. he has like a frightening fury, a frightening sense of purpose, and I was yeah. like, right, like so again, this is this this is again where like you get that kind of fashy undertone, um, where um, Aaron just has like this uh, death drive, right, um, mm-hmm. and that's what makes him central uh, in this in this narrative. Uh, of course, his death drive is linked to like his desire for like life and beauty and shit but like that's just human right like that's the danger uh of of yeah. of allowing your passions uh your your more positive passions to become bent up and and um fixated in a kind of an annihilationist framework um and and by despair and so forth um oh but another thing that i wanted to mention about attack on titan of course in contrast to one piece uh is that the setting is very much the opposite, uh, at least as far as I've seen it so far, which is that uh, <laughs> Attack on Titan is in a fortress community, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, that's another... They built the wall. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're all within the wall. They worship the wall, uh, or some <laughs> some people do. Um, they made it Mexico pay for it. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And there is kind of some mockery of the people who are obsessed with the wall as a religious mm-hmm. uh, icon or whatever. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So that's where you're kind of like, okay, like they're they're kind of saying that these people are dumbasses. Um, and, and they're kind of saying, like, hey, let's just be realistic. Like, the wall's a wall. It's just there to protect us from these giant marauding, you know, titans. Um, but it, it is... I don't know it, if you've gotten to this point, though, but at a certain point, it's kind of revealed that they are actually correct. <laughs> I just got to that point, sort of. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm, I'm at, the, I'm at the, like, the very first stage of that revelation. Um, yeah. And, yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's Chekhov's gun, um, if you're familiar with that idiom in storytelling. Um, where you know if, yes. there's, a, if there's a gun yeah. in Act One, it must be it must go off by Act Three, right? Right, um, right, yeah. So it's like if I always you, I always think of uh, Chloe's <laughs> display name for a while, which was Chekhov's cum. <laughs> right, exactly, right, yeah. Um, uh, it's very clever. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's like if you introduce Thanks, Chloe, <laughs> right, right. If you introduce a, a bizarro wall cult in in the first season then it's gotta mean something right yeah, uh, yeah even even if even if they're wrong their conviction has to affect the plot right yes so, right um so in this case of course we're finding out that there's something that they know or that they've been trying to protect or hide that we haven't been aware of so far right that's mm-hmm. that's as far as i've gotten yeah. um right um probably something to do with pedophilia but like whatever <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, so, right, um, they're terrified of invasion, invasion continually happens, um, it's enabled by apparent infiltration mm-hmm. or something like it, um, and that is that is definitely uh, a very nationalist, that's at least a right-wing kind of yeah. thing, right? Um, right. Uh, <laughs> what's funny, and I just want to, like, bring this up, is that the, uh, the mobility um, that is one of the underpinnings of elite structures and especially of capital is hilariously at odds with the like existential fortress society terror paradigm that uh, animates the right wing, right? Like (laughs) they're allied and controlled by the people who create the same dynamics, right? that that undermine what they see as uh, traditional life and all this shit and it's like that's how they're kind of brainwashed by their own leadership in the right wing um and that's what's uh, that's what's really interesting like i'm putting it in my own words people have observed this before but i'm just putting it in my own words upon reflection um on on you know fucking attack on titan i guess but what you do find in that in that world as well is that they are controlled by a an aloof aristocracy um in in at least in name but ultimately they're really controlled by the military um and the military just kind of like yeah they might review each other for like you know efficacy of operations but they ultimately have almost complete sway over society and yeah that's another big contrast with one piece yeah which is they both actually acknowledge uh both attack on titan and one piece acknowledge the upper class Mm-hmm. They're not anything special. Yeah, they're yep. they're just there by virtue of birth or whatever it is that got them there. Yeah, not yeah. any not any like really 
real merit or anything like that. Uh, like, they're totemic. The myth goes. Yeah. And yeah. they basically like live off of everyone else's work. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they're very brutal and cruel and uh-huh. uncaring toward everyone else. But the the difference is One Piece says this is unjust and you should right. do a revolution and, you know, beat the shit out of all these people. Right. And take all their power away and mm-hmm. Attack on Titan says, well, you know, we got to do that because otherwise the monsters will kill us all. Yeah, I think that, like, again, so far what I've seen in Attack on Titan is that um, the aristocracy, like the traditional aristocracy is, yes, it's indulgent and decadent and uh, a little bit useless, um, but they're just kind of there to stay. And what's Mm -hmm. really important is that the strong uh, masculine uh, military institutions um, do you know all the real decision making in order to uh, maintain the order that is entrenched because like what are you really gonna do and it's, it's a very fatalistic thing um, and it's actually reflective of I think uh, like some of the like the UK still has a monarchy in some form or other and like they're sustained in that way and like japan actually has a monarchy that is sustained in that way um they all have their private grounds yeah didn't the emperor just abdicate like uh like two weeks ago yep yep handed it down so um you know these things exist for essentially like national pride and and a sense of centrality and stuff uh and when we talk about the question of what uh, where your legitimacy is derived from in these weird constitutional monarchic societies like Japan and, and, um, and the UK, um, at least a parliamentary constitutional monarchy or whatever, whatever you want to technically call them, they're very similar, right? Um, the elites at least still derive some form or some notion of legitimacy from the lingering institution of the monarchy um, and yeah. they use that as kind of ideological power, you know, um, and it's very strange. To Which now mostly the takes the form of tabloid magazines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, I, and I think that we see something similar in, like, the states, uh, not so much in the person per se of the president, but in the office of the president, you definitely see that, right? People fucking stuck off the Oval Office. Well, yeah, literally or figuratively, sure. right? Um, yeah, they're just like, oh, that was that's the office. You know, you have to respect the office. That's <laughs> like, dude. And they just have like the lowest bar for the president. Shut the fuck so, out. Like, exactly. Right. Obama can just be like, that shit cray. And people are like, wow, he's the coolest guy ever right. in history. Right. Epic dude. Right. <laughs> like they just have to say things that sometimes you might say drunk and you're, and you're like, they just fawn over them. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, the Oval Office just needs a bed warmer, basically, and that's like all people really want. <laughs> um, yeah, we we could also contrast it with Black Clover. So yeah, go ahead into that. Black Clover, yeah, yeah. Um, so a uh, friend of the show Noah at Monkey D Lefty on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. has has challenged me on this analysis in our uh, anarchist anime DM like group DM thing that we have going. But um, mm-hmm. I I am on episode fifty nine of the anime. And I, I'm still holding firm to this analysis so far, but it could change depending on, you know, changes in the story. Uh, so I'll, I'll preface it with that. 
But I think that Black Clover is more of a liberal show. Um, not not in like a really strictly like accurate sense of liberalism, but the mm. general philosophy of the liberal person in in our society, which okay. is to say that uh, in this show there are uh, wizards, mm-hmm. and they have like uh, this you know it's like a feudal society, so they have a king, mm. and they have aristocrats. And then they have the magic knights who are basically just knights. You know, they're the, uh, what do you call it? The war- warrior something. What's the term? Military aristocracy. Yes. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, so they're basically military aristocracy. Mm. And the main character is uh, a peasant from the middle of nowhere. Mm. They keep they call him a peasant from the boonies like constantly in the show. <laughs> And uh, he also has a he doesn't call him a brother in the show, but it's basically his his brother. They're they're both orphans. They -hmm. grew up in the same church being taken care of by the same um, nun and priest. Mm -hmm. And uh, they both end up in the Magic Knights. Uh, You know, the brother, he's like the the perfect, like pretty boy, uh, very successful very talented person that everyone thinks is going to go the furthest. And then Asta is the main character and mm. he's like the, the loud mouth meathead uh, kind of, he's kind of boyish because he's, okay. he's, he's like a lot of other shonen characters. He's very short and loud uh-huh. and kind of immature, but in a way that's like kind of mature as well. You know, right. like he has a, he has a very strong sense of morality, which is very mature, but he acts in immature ways and is kind of naive in a lot of ways. But uh, anyway, so go ahead. Said like he's kind of still finding his feet. Yes. Yes. Um, But the whole thing is like they, they show that the aristocracy is unjust that, Mm -hmm. uh, that they treat everyone very badly. And, you know, there are, people among peasants that are just as talented as them, mm. but it still has them as like, overall they are superior people because they like Royals have more magic naturally than okay. non Royals. So they just have superior abilities inherently. And it's only the very best of the peasants that can even approach their power. Uh, I uh, let alone surpass it. Yep. And then, and then, um, uh, Asta's whole thing is he wants to become the wizard king, which is it's just like the pirate king in One Piece, kind of thing. Except in this case, uh, whereas where where the pirate king is the most free person who is essentially like the opposite of a king, the wizard king is like literally a an aristocrat. Uh, okay. The the actual like feudal king believes that the wizard king should be like his assistant essentially but legally they have roughly equal power it's just like in different uh different aspects of their society um and 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 so asta wants to become the wizard king so that he can basically like make it less aristocratic he can make like the wizard knights less aristocratic uh and so on 
so okay. and, and and that could easily end up with Asta just as the wizard king or yeah, as the wizard king is uh, just become like embedded in the upper class and not end up changing it at all, especially if he has like descendants that then become part of the aristocracy because he was the wizard king. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's kind of a liberal thing. It's like, oh yeah, you know, it's uh, the aristocracy is bad, but the way that you deal with that is you work really hard so that you can become great and on your merit. Uh, mm-hmm. You can rise to the position of wizard king and then change it from the inside. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah, you're right. So it's the, yeah, yeah, the meritocratic myth. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So like, but I gotta right. say it's a, it's I I think it's a great show. I uh, I only watched I watched the first episode before, and uh, I was reading reviews on my anime list while I was doing this. And I have this problem where I always read the negative reviews more than anything else because I want to know like oh, yeah. what people hate about something. And right. so that that ends up coloring what I like how I see it, and I'm like, oh, I guess this sucks, mm-hmm. so I won't keep watching it. But uh, Noah kept talking about how great it was and showing like uh, screenshots of the of the manga and the art from it and stuff. And so I gave it a second chance, and it's it's very good. I like it a lot. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I definitely does, do that as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wrote down in my notes here is I said, I wish there were alternative audio tracks that had less yelling. <laughs> <laughs> like I wish, I wish Shonen anime had like a seinen anime track, a seinen yeah. audio track that was just like, all right, everyone speaks more calmly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wrote is uh, one problem I have to, with the translation. One of the characters in um, Asta's uh, regiment I can't remember what what the fuck that term is. Whatever that military shit is, uh, the Black Bulls. Uh, she is like a she's like a failed daughter, aristocrat. Okay. Um, and and she's kind of in love with him, but it's mm-hmm. in this stage where it's like uh, they tease each other, kind of thing. Oh you know? yeah, gosh. Okay. Um, and, and so she calls him Bakasta, mm-hmm. which uh, they translate to stupid stuff. Like it's supposed to be a play off his name Asta, so it's Bakasta. Baka means idiot in Japanese. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, they missed an opportunity to translate that as Damasta, which would have been perfect. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so well, you know, there's. I guess there's so much you can do. Yeah, yeah. They uh, oh, they do. Uh, they do the Salt Bay meme. In this show, more than once. So there's like a cook who's making something for one of the characters who, uh, she's she's my favorite female character. I think Charmy. She is. Uh, she just loves to eat. She's not. She's not even fat in the show. She just like eats constantly. She just loves food. Always talking about it. She falls in love with Yuno, but not because he's a pretty boy, just because he like saved her food from falling on the floor. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so there's one episode where like uh, there's like some royal event and everyone uh, rushes out because some emergency happens. And so the chefs are like, what the fuck? Like we made all this food and no one's going to eat it. And uh, Charmy smells it and she comes back into the kitchen and overhears him saying that. And she's like, I would be honored to eat this food for you. <laughs> and uh, the chef's like, oh, wow, thank you. And then he serves her some and he does the salt bay thing with some spices. 
<laughs> so very cool. <laughs> um. Oh, and uh, I, I think the music, one of the things I, lo- I saw in the review, I reread the review today that I that really influenced me to not watch it originally, and it said the review, the, or sorry, the music is nothing special, and I totally disagree. I think the music is very good, actually. Um, I normally do not like anime music very much at all. Uh, I could probably yeah. name all of the songs that I like. I would say the, the Dragon Ball Z song is good. Both of the uh, Mushishi songs are good. The One Piece song where they say each knee sunshine. I love that mm-hmm. one. That one's good. Um, the outro to uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is always good. That's about it. Uh, but this one I like a lot. Uh, they have some good harmonies. They have uh, the drummer that, that plays on the song is very good. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would say that, that that's a, a good point of the series. The manga looks really cool. I I would like to pick up the manga once I catch up on the anime. Uh, but the anime mostly is good. It's it's definitely better than One Piece in quality. Mm-hmm. But some mm-hmm. of the visual effects, I think, are are not very well done. They look like something out of Blue Submarine Number 6, actually. <laughs> so uh, They have some like weird fluid effects that just don't work at all. But, I uh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, overall, I would say 7 to 8 out of 10 series not bad worth watching yeah it's good yeah well very good very good i'll uh, I'll have to check it out sounds at least you know interesting enough to kind of get into and and see Uh, yeah and i think uh you know the first like five episodes if you don't like it by then you you may not like it at all gotcha but um oh oh another thing that's really cool about it is you know, a lot of shonen anime, they have the whole thing where the hero becomes more powerful by making friends dynamic, like Naruto yeah. and One Piece, all that. Right. Uh, they have that in, in this show, but they take it uh-huh. to, to an even further extreme where at the point I'm at in the series now, um, Asta is literally incapable of defeating the enemies that they're fighting, um, except because they're they're doing these very coordinated like uh like synchronized att- attacks like he basically has two support mages uh-huh. uh one one can use like threads to pull stuff around and uh-huh. another can create portals to transport stuff uh-huh. and and Asta himself uh he he has no magic at all so uh-huh. he's a wizard he's like a a mage knight that can't do magic uh, but he has a sword that's yeah, yeah. He has a sword that's anti magic, so he can basically defeat almost any type of magic with his sword. But he ha- obviously sword. has to be within melee range, right? And okay. and a lot of a lot of the enemy mages can augment their physical abilities with magic and become like much faster than he is with like like he's essentially like Rock Lee and Naruto. Like he only has his physical abilities and his swords, right? Um. And the the way that they're attacking now is he they basically like uh, put him on like wires like Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon with the threads and then they uh, pull him through through portals to like make his movements faster and more unpredictable. Okay. Um, and then he like you know slashes at the at the enemy with with gotcha. that. Gotcha. Um, so it's like literally would not be possible if they weren't all working together in a highly synchronized way, right. which is very cool I think. Yeah, that is very cool. You know, good to have friends you can rely very on. Very realistic. Like yes, 
Um, personally, I failed at uh, portal school, but you know that's pretty cool that they can do shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, the portals are what I meant when I said it's very realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. Uh, as soon as I've finished downloading uh, cartoon fascism into my brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, do we have anything else? I mean, we got we got two hours. It'll probably cut down to like I don't know, hour twenty. But yeah, that's that's all for me. Out. Yeah, I think this is a pretty good one. So yeah, um, good yeah. So if you enjoyed that out there in the audience, uh, check out our other episodes. We just did one with Shannon Strucci, uh, Strucci movies on YouTube about parasocial interaction and. Uh, the uh, the top 10 highest earning YouTubers um, and One Piece as well. Um, we've done, we did an episode on Venezuela, which I think was pretty good. Uh, check out our Capitalist Power episodes. Oh yeah, I never actually said which, which ones those were, even though I pulled it up. Um, so it's uh, 214 is the first one, 218 is the second one, and 221 is the third one. Um, so check those out. They are a good explainer on a, a very complex topic, uh, which, I mean, we didn't even remotely cover it in there, but uh, we I think we had a good start. And, yeah, uh, our website is neighborsciencepodcast.com. Uh, I try to extensively tag everything, so if you're trying to look for a specific topic, it should be pretty easy to find uh, through the tags on there. Uh, our Twitter is at neighborsciepod. I'm at Handle of Rye. Chris is at Solidarity underscore Goth. Uh, we have a uh, we have merch. I'll I'll put it in the show description, so you can check out the link there. So we have we have a couple of cool shirts that you can get. I still have to do those uh, the stickers, the die cut stickers. Oh yeah, it's just yeah. Uh, yeah the fucking transparency layer is fucking me up, and I I don't know how to do transparency stuff that well in uh, graphics programs, so. It's not something that I've been super excited about trying to fix. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>